Welcome to Authority Optional, Leadership Beyond the Rulebook. Today, we're going to be talking about failure and vulnerability, specifically failure and the importance of it. We're going to go over a little bit about psychological safety, where that came from, how we fostered it, and then we're going to go into quite a bit of detail about something we call epic fails. Enjoy the show. Should we clarify beforehand the difference between psychological safety and what some people deem psychological safety might be? That's probably a great place to start. Uh, Psychological safety is not safe spaces. This is not a a safe place for somebody to go that they don't have to worry about criticism or whatever things make them anxious or afraid when they are dealing with day-to-day humanity. If anything, psychological safety is kind of the opposite. As a matter of fact, the I would say the person who coined the phrase, or at least really turned it into a study, Amy Edmondson, would agree it's practically the opposite. In places of learning, developing, innovating, where decisions need to be made, it should be safe to criticize, to disagree, to be whoever, whoever it is you're going to be, but as long as the intent is for maybe what Ray Dalio would call the better idea. Right. It is the pursuit of the best possible things that could come out of a team, an interaction, and the best cannot be obtained if everybody's being super nice. And there's a biological reason for this. If everybody's being nice, nobody's taking chances. And if people aren't taking chances, growth is not happening. And it's normal to not take chances because it is built into our DNA to not push the status quo of the tribe because if somebody doesn't like it, specifically the alpha or the elders or whoever don't like what it is you're trying to bring into the tribe, they kick you out of the tribe. (laughs) And being solo meant death. There was no way around it. If you were a solo human walking around by yourself back in the day, you were going to die. Yeah, and it's uh, it's not to put down a a safe space. I think there are instances and individuals where they really do need the the time away and space in order to even recharge a battery in some instances. But when we talk about psychological safety and just that idea of it's okay for me to have ideas, some of them may be bad. So as a musician, for instance, as a creative, one of the hardest things to get over in it, you know, one of the benefits of being with a group of other players for years is you can go in there and you can have a vowel movement and not know exactly <laughs> what your lyrics are yet and work through things and working through melodies. And it's really hard to do that on your own with one instrument when you play in the context of a band, for instance. Mm-hmm. And it's an analogy that Max and I have used a lot. You know, what's your role in the band? What do you do? What's your role on the team? Are you harmonizing or is it dissonance? And sometimes dissonance creates the elemental mood that you need in order to grow. And that's what we're really talking about is organizations that want to grow provide psychological safety so that you can go a million miles an hour and try something that's innovative and creative. If you screw it up, that's okay. It's having those other people around you in the safe space where they are in support of you making mistakes and failing. And so we're, we're jumping ahead because that's where you want to get to is where you can try something that seems audacious If it works, it's incredible. 
If it doesn't work, that's okay too, because if nothing else, it's a process of elimination of streamlining and getting better, uh, eliminating waste. Whether that's wasted time, wasted dollars, wasted budget, the one thing that I know without a doubt, particularly from working with you in a group that bought into that culture, there was no belittling. There were good ideas and bad ideas. And like you said, the best idea will float to the top or you may have a really good idea. And again, when we talk about things like diversity and inclusion and a sense of belonging, people being able to contribute their ideas that make it even better. You build things that you could not possibly build by yourself when you have psychological safety. So that's Essentially, what we're going to talk about today is some steps that we took to get that way from a larger organization standpoint down to a team level standpoint. And I'm going to kick things off with uh, one of our old, one of the old traditions we used to have, which is we call the epic fails. Like I said, we're going to get into this in a little bit more detail later about how we did it. So I'll just start with my epic fail that I had today. Listeners, by the time you hear this, it won't be this day anymore, but today is my wife's birthday. And we usually do, uh, you know, it's, it's been reduced. It used to be a birthday month and it still kind of is, but she, we, we definitely focus on the birthday week. We're going to take care of her and whatever she wants to do during the week. We, we wish her happy birthday Eve. You know, it's, it's a whole production, which only informs the fail. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh over here cause I have no idea what this story is, but yeah, it's, it's uh, thankfully for me, it's not as bad as it could have been. Also, for context, every week I meet with a group of friends and this is this happens usually on Friday. And then what we'll do is throughout the week, we'll be checking in. Everybody's still good for Friday or whatever. And so last week I say, all right, hey, I'm out. Uh, wife's birthday's coming up. So, you know, her birthday's on Friday. We got plans on Saturday. So I'm, I'm out this week. And then a couple of days went by and I realized I was in the wrong week mentally. <laughs> I knew the date. And so I, I reported back to my group of friends. It's like, actually, I messed up. Turns out that I am free this weekend. I'll see you guys on Saturday. And they were like, whoa, did you forget your wife's birthday? And I was like, no, 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 this isn't divorce dumbassery. I forgot what week it was. This is standard dumbassery. I'm safe. You didn't screw it up with Carrie. That's the important part. That's the important part. Yes. Uh, the birthday was not forgotten. I just forgot what week I was in in time and space. So that was my fail for last week. And... Thankfully, no real consequences came out. I got I got my balls busted a little bit by my friends. That's cool. That's, you deserved uh, it. I deserved it. That's respectable. So a little bit about uh, Amy Edmondson, who has really done the, the tremendous amount of foundational research. I think we said earlier, maybe she didn't coin the phrase. That might have been something that happened in the 50s. But she definitely was the pioneer of how we understand psychological safety is and applies to us today. A couple things about this. Just to lay a little bit of groundwork, where I discovered Amy Edmondson actually is on Armchair Expert. So if you're listening to podcasts, by all means, please go listen to Armchair Expert, Dex Shepard, Monica Padman. They're fantastic. It's it's definitely one of my top two favorite podcasts of all time. Very educational, plenty of fun. And they bring on experts like Amy Edmondson. And one of the things that Dax captured when they were starting to talk about it is something he read in her book, and it is as follows. With psychological safety, one can take chances without fear and with sufficient protection. Thus, a climate is built which encourages provisional tries and which tolerates failure without retaliation, renunciation, or guilt. 
listeners, can you imagine a world where you are allowed to take chances and have some risky ideas and you're not going to be chastised for it? You're not going to be ridiculed. Nobody's going to give you that long, cold stare across the table and make you worry about whether or not you're going to have a job the next day. That is the environment that I always tried to create. It was the one I wanted to live in. I actually had, I think part of it was contributed by my upbringing with my dad. Like my dad was pretty, pretty lax about mistakes, but he had a different opinion about repeat mistakes. And that informed my own way of handling things. And we've talked about it a little bit in previous episodes. For me, psychological safety is about number one, getting everybody engaged and participating. Number two, and really this is number one, this is the most important thing. Good ideas rise to the top. And that is not something that will happen if people are worried about whether or not they're going to sound stupid or ask a dumb question or tell somebody else, I'm not sure that idea, that idea is going to work. Everybody has to be able to be honest. Everybody has to feel free to be honest and that their honesty, as long as it's coming from the right place, is never going to get judged as hostile or retaliatory. Yeah, that, that has a lot of feelings of uh, intent. What's your intention? Are you trying to support this person? So for instance, maybe they have an idea that you tried somewhere in the past and you can actually have an open conversation about you're two different people. It might work for them where it didn't work for you, but talking about obstacles that you ran into to look for, to be aware of. And when you're in, again, the group dynamic, who's had similar experiences where they've figured out how to get over that obstacle uh, or didn't encounter it because they had a better plan. Mm -hmm. So really where this stems from, psychological safety is the fact that we, we need differences, we need criticisms, we need challenging conversations, high quality conversations in order to involve, to innovate, to improve. That's, that's where the whole thing comes from and where Amy started her study actually was in the medical field. She, she took a, a sample of you know a bunch of different kinds of teams, but she started in the medical field and she attacked error rate. And she, what she discovered was not what she thought she was going to. So the teams that were of lower error rate she anticipated to find good, high-quality, bonded teams. And then the higher the error rate, she thought she would encounter you know, sloppier, they don't talk to each other. Turns out it's quite the opposite. And spoiler alert, if you're going li- li- to listen to the podcast, the reason for the higher error rates being belonging to the good teams is because they were being honest about their error rates. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't have a fear of reputation or looking bad. They were more concerned about getting it right than looking like they got it right. And something that you said earlier uh, before we started recording, how fucking scary is it that you could go to a hospital and the team that's handling your health, life or death situation, might be on a team that is not conducive to expressing failures and they might make an error and just try to cover it up. Yeah. And people's lives are on the line. So it's easy to imagine a world where that is something that you would want to have an open and honest and transparent and safe for mistakes kind of environment in anything other than medical, because you really want it. I would really want that in my medical team. Therefore it's easy to translate to a contact center for a bank. Of course we want it there too. And of course errors are going to be made. We've talked about this a little bit in a, in another episode, my view on mistakes were super welcome, make thousands of them. Just don't repeat them. Once I pointed it out and asked you, 
why this happened and I have the explanation and then we talk it out about, you know, this is why this is a mistake and here's things you can do to avoid it the next time. The second conversation about the same exact mistake is, okay, well, do you not care or are you not listening or is this a, a an incompetence kind of thing? I think I have a flip side example for this. Okay. So in my most recent role working with the state of Idaho where Teams was for MSN, Teams doing a, a video call, it was only internal and we didn't know that. So mentioning that in a previous episode, when we skip ahead, we were in a meeting where I called out our epic fail. It made one of the individuals on my team so nervous that we actually had an aside, had an individual meeting, just the two of us, where she was very concerned about reputation. And again, we're we're all of two, three, four weeks into the job. And I very much want to establish the fact that we're not perfect, but we were there to innovate. So there's a part of this culture where we're going to make mistakes. We're going to share those. And it was there was no guys. It was to make other people better. The thing that I think was interesting was within probably three or four months, there was actually a policy of using WebEx, which was the external expectation. They made it policy that any meetings that were happening with external agencies were to be done through WebEx. I don't know that there's any correlation there, or it may simply have taken four or five months of other people making the same mistake. Hmm. But in that instance where if we were giving that feedback to leadership, like, hey, everybody on my, my, in my bureau, everybody who can hear me, don't do X because you'll have a failure and we want to not have you repeat mistakes. This idea that your reputation is more important and that looking perfect is more important than what's beneficial to the entire tribe, that's paradoxical to my value set. I would much rather be the fool who fixes it before somebody else becomes the fool. And if that's my comfort level, so be it. But I think that's really what makes somebody a leader. That lady on your team is a perfect example of why psychological safety doesn't exist by and large in most corporations and most companies and teams. She's expressing very perfectly her fear of being kicked out of the tribe because she doesn't seem to be in line with what the tribe wants. We've made a mistake. For, so for her, she has this, she believes this fallacy that she needs to be perfect. She needs to come across as though she never makes mistakes, except that this is something that I've talked about on my own plenty of times the problem with that is that it is entirely bullshit. We all know that no humans are perfect. So when we see a human that is trying to put on the show like they're perfect, we automatically ascribe them as a liar. Well, and, and I should caveat, this is a wonderful human being sure. with great intention. Her exact words were, you can't do that here. Right. And the issue behind that is, cool, well, then I really want to do that here because that piece of culture has to change in order for the 150 people working for that division to become successful. Right. And it's not about breaking things. It's about fixing things. It's about understanding that when something is perfect and you see someone's life, this is funny because if we were in, a, in an audience at all, I'd be like, raise your hand if you've ever looked at Instagram and gone... Oh, your life is so perfect. Mm -hmm. We show people what we want to see and that's okay. But the things that go viral on Instagram are usually somebody falling down, somebody screwing up, somebody having heart, somebody making a mistake and owning it and making it right for somebody else. These are all vulnerabilities where we are being human. And when we talk about being a social animal, 
that humanity is what connects us as opposed to the idea of perfection, which is sets us apart. It others people because you don't feel like you're worthy or you're good enough. Or if God forbid you get it in your head that they're not good enough to be on my team or they're not good. That's that's the antithesis of meeting people where they're at. Everybody is good enough until they aren't. But that would be a conscious effort to not be a good human. Yeah. And we've talked about before, there is such a thing as non-job fits. Like somebody could have gotten into a role that isn't going to work for them. The, the point today is to talk a little bit about how we get there. So there are things I'm sure you've done with your teams specifically to try to get to that. Failure is welcomed. Mistakes are, are encouraged so that we talk about them. The best possible scenario is everybody's making mistakes and everybody's talking about them so that everybody's learning at an exponential rate. Otherwise, you're only ever learning from your own mistakes. And as a matter of fact, your growth is stunted if you feel compelled to cover those mistakes up. I would ask anybody listening to this, ask yourself, are you afraid to let somebody at work know that you made a mistake? If you are, that's a huge indicator about the kind of work environment that you are in. I would call that borderline hostile. If you don't feel like it's okay to admit to somebody that you made a mistake, that means you fear retribution. The problem is you now fear, retribu- you now fear retribution from being a human being. And that is uh, very counter to our human, our humanity. I got really lucky with this when I was really, really young. My first job out of college, I'm working for a gym. I forgot to have somebody put their initials on a contract, but I caught it as they left. So picture me running out the door, looking both ways in the parking lot, seeing this guy in his SUV and jogging over and holding up my hand. He rolls down his window and he just says, what's up? And I said, hey, I'm really, really sorry to bug you, but I neglected to get your initials here for X, Y, Z. And he just looks at me and says, eh, not a problem. The day I'm perfect, I'm going to be a lot harder to live with. Mm. That set me on a path because this individual was very successful. He was well known in the community. He was well liked in the community. Beyond that, he, he flat said, the day I am perfect. Can you imagine how hard it would be to live with somebody who is actually just <laughs> perfect? It doesn't exist. So this this also back to a couple of, of casts ago. Permission. You may not even listening to this be able to have that conversation with your supervisor. But you as a manager of frontline employees can give them permission to make mistakes. There are caveats and expectations that you should set like Let's try not to make the same mistake twice. Make a plan. What is the plan? And that's a famous quote in in my world from Max, which is mistakes are going to happen. I don't care as much about the mistake. What's the plan? Yeah. So there was a couple of things that I did. And then I'd like to hear what you did for your team specifically to try to create an environment where psychological safety was the dominant paradigm, essentially. One of the things I did, what we've talked about this, which is setting expectations and then honoring promises. So I would tell somebody, I would give them this little speech. There's, uh, we've said it a couple of times the last couple episodes, so I'll keep this version brief. I encourage mistakes. I want you to make thousands of them. I, I want you to feel super comfortable making mistakes, as long as they're the first of their kind. The deal is, if I have to approach you the second time and I've addressed the first one with you, then it's going to be a slightly different conversation. The third time will be a very different conversation. So make mistakes aplenty and know that it's okay. And I will likely talk to you about them 
And I'm going to want to know one thing. What's the plan? I'm never going to want an apology. Don't care about the apology. And and there, don't get me wrong. There's value. There's value in feeling sorry. There's va- value in stating that one is sorry. Ownership's important. Ownership's important. But by and large, I have found too often that people will hide behind an apology. In fact, I always have one peer that streaks to the front of my mind. She apologized to me a lot, making the same mistakes over and over and over. She apologized every time. All that is is a badge to be let off the hook. Another type of apology that falls into that is the one where you're apologizing because you didn't catch it because somebody else did something that caused it and you're you're leveraging blame off in another direction. Yeah. Just own your shit. Yes. It's okay. (laughs) This is going to be a very frequent theme for us. Accountability. Don't expect others to hold you accountable. As a matter of fact, they can't. People cannot hold you accountable. You can only hold yourself accountable. But we're going to dive into that a lot. Sticking to this topic that we're on, I would introduce my method, my my view on mistakes, and then the only thing left is for them to make a mistake and be around when it happens and then have to address it with them. And I think almost every single time somebody who was new to my team came in with their hangdog expression and prepared to apologize and prepared for some kind of beating, and then I would fulfill my promise of going, cool, what's the plan? That's it. What happened? And can you can you trace your steps backwards enough to realize how this mistake happened? Because I mean we could we could go into a whole thing. In fact, I, I recommend that you do listen to the Amy Edmondson armchair expert because they talk a little bit about levels of mistakes, what kinds of mistakes, are they group, are they accidental, whatever. As a matter of fact, she said something really, I wish I could remember exactly how she said it, but she's like, a, and a mistake, a mistake that's on purpose is not a mistake. Yeah. It's malicious. <laughs> it's malicious. Yes. So if you can just accept that all mistakes are accidental right off the bat, now, now it can be, uh, you know, error of omission. It could be somebody forgot something. Somebody didn't know something. Somebody thought something got communicated that it didn't actually get communicated. It doesn't matter. <laughs> At its core, all mistakes and errors are accidental just by nature. If you just think of it from that point, then when they come and talk to you about it, you just go, can you remember what happened that led us to this point? And you can have a conversation in a way where you're sort of trying to pull it out of them because maybe they do remember some parts of it. Maybe they don't. You can get to a place where you're asking them, well, perhaps it's worth it to go speak to this other person about the communication you guys had in a fully accountable way where you're just trying to explore the depths of your own accountability for this thing that happened And then the rest of our conversation as the leader who is supporting you, what's your plan? But let's not stop there. Tell me what the plan is. Loop me in on the plan so that I can help and guide you through it. Because a leader in a position usually has some more experience in that position than the person they're speaking to. And they can go, I can calibrate this plan with you. Some parts of this are probably not going to work. Some parts of this sound really good. And I think we should stick to those. And maybe we should add some of these other things and so on and so forth. As you're building trust and you've actually gotten to the level where it's more fluid and somebody can actually say, hey, you know, I I tried this and it didn't work. That's the context of, say, a one-on-one where they're coming to you going, hey, I tried this new thing with the team and it didn't really work, but I'm not sure why it didn't work. Or uh, there's a piece here where I can see where it didn't work, but I don't know how to overcome that obstacle. 
and you start to build the trust in them coming to you for what would you have done in this situation to come up with the plan. It can start conversations where, hey, I'm going to try this and I'm confident about X and Y. Z makes me a little nervous. Do you have any insight there that you can provide for me? You're setting the table like, hey, this may not work. You have any insight on how I build this before something that maybe works, maybe doesn't work? That level of trust is where we're talking about that exponential speed. And it is your intent as a manager. Now, when you get to that little next level where where you're able to ask those awkward questions, which I'm a huge fan of the fact that if you're a leader in any capacity, half of it and half the fun is just getting to ask, ask those awkward questions. But when you get to that point, the next awkward question is, do you want to walk through this emotional door and set, help set precedent for the team? Would you share this in our next meeting when we talk about our epic fails so that we can try and make sure that none of your other nine or 10 or 11 peers make that same mistake and we can talk about it and we can learn from it. And you, if you set the groundwork and, and it is groundwork building to these different stages from where we started in the first cast and coming up to, to this one, it's all building on itself in this capacity of trust and building this badass team that simply runs on its own. And before I forget, can you come back, talk about the analogy of the phalanx and when you're when you're in a team where everybody is supportive, talk about shields and how shields work in the context of epic fails. Yeah, absolutely. One concept I would always introduce to two people who were new to my team, especially leaders, because again, I had a team of leaders reporting to me, is the concept of the Spartan. So anybody who's ever seen 300, if you don't, super recommend it. It's a fantastic movie. Definitely one of my favorites, but it really coins this concept, which is your shield is not for you. They had these massive shields that covered half a body. They were always in their left hand and their shield was for the person to their left. Their right hand was their weapon hand. That was for the attacking, the damage doing, and they could create a phalanx, a line of, of soldiers and all you would see is sh- is these shields and you could never get to the guy that's next to the guy holding the shield that's the whole point so i would i would introduce this concept to anybody new to my team and say this is the expectation i'm not expecting you to buy into it and understand it and feel it tomorrow but you will see it your teammates will start protecting you and you might start thinking to yourself well what do i need to be protected from all kinds of stuff yourself for one, if you're new, you're probably going to make tons and tons of mistakes. Here's what's going to happen. Your peers are going to come to you and point out a mistake and they're going to say, there's a better way to do it. Or here is a better way to do this thing. So you don't make this error going forward. That is them holding their shield in front of you so that you don't have to catch any, whatever it means from whatever your business is, your corporate, so that you're not going to catch any crap from whomever might give you said crap. Now, on my team, nobody was ever going to get crap. However, people who had been on my team for a while did know that I was going to get to the bottom of a mistake. And so if it was a real easy one or a real light one, they would come to you and go, hey, man, here's a way, easy way to fix this so you don't have to repeat this mistake. Know that if you if the mistake is big enough, then you're going to have to you'll have a conversation with Max, not in a you have to. He's going to talk to you. Not in that kind of way. But just, it always makes people, it's always a little nerve wracking. If you're like, well, you got to go talk to the, the boss now, whoever that may be. 
and it was always, I would imagine, a little nerve-wracking the first time until somebody saw my style and they would come in with their hat in their hand and say, I made this mistake. And I would say, great, what's the plan? Even in an environment where that's a very positive conversation to have, it doesn't mean it's not uncomfortable because I'm still going to make you explore it. I'm still going to make you dive back into your memory, figure out every piece, which pieces went wrong, the whole thing. Like there's value in it. Just because there's value in it doesn't mean that it's comfortable for the person. And so the, the shield to your, to your partner just meant that you were, I'm, I'm here to protect you from everything that includes yourself. And that includes our boss who, by the way, is creating this environment that makes it okay for us to do this. Permission. Permission. So diving into a concept that Josh and I have alluded to a couple times, and we've even given an example of it in this episode. One of the ways that we started meetings, every single meeting, every single week was with epic fails. Granted, I opened it up to two things. I would always say recognition and epic fails because I couldn't come up with a, a word or a combination of word that was as catchy or clever as epic fails. Also, it should be known that the word epic is kind of a misnomer. <laughs> it's tongue in cheek. Yeah. Some of them were really dumb little silly shit and some of them were epic. So it just really opens it up to, hey, what mistakes have you made recently? And as Josh has mentioned in previous shows, that ranged from the personal and the really silly little stuff like me and my losing track of what week it is so that I don't know that it's not actually the week that my wife's birthday lands on or the more valuable stuff to another person at a table in a workplace, which is these are business mistakes I've made organizational systemic mistakes that I've made that other people can learn from and we can all improve about as a group. We talked a little bit about in a previous episode, how you can start it. And the way to start it is by example. If you are the leader of a particular team or organization, you introduce it with your own mistakes. You cannot force people. You cannot, you must not force people to own their mistakes in front of a group of people for the first time that is shaming. It is uncomfortable as all hell, and it will be counterintuitive to what you're trying to accomplish. This is one of many ways in which you must lead by example. So you will say, I would like to introduce this concept to our team meetings going forward. We'll gauge the and measure the success of it and, and see if it's something we want to keep doing. But I kind of think it'll be beneficial. And you can take it from me, listener. It is very successful when you pull it off right. You literally would point out, here's the intent of why we want to do this. Yes. Setting expectations, as we've said before, and then fulfilling the promise by sharing your own fuck ups. Like it, you cannot go wrong with your own stuff. And furthermore, if you have your own examples that are business related, those are even better, but go both ways, you know, go make sure you do both personal and business. The business stuff will show them. I make mistakes too, just because I'm in, in charge of you, quote unquote, doesn't mean I don't make some of the same kinds of mistakes. I'm human. And that is to error. So you start there. And then the first person that joins you, you got to make sure that you celebrate the hell out of that. They, I mean, point out how brave they are. Like, I, I, however cheesy you do or don't want to get is your business, but make sure that it is flagged as as beneficial as you can stand. Now, if the person does not want you to make a big deal out of it, you got to know that about them too. Again, we've talked multiple times about building foundations, adding layers, getting to the point where you can do this. 
this is one of those areas where you're going to have to play it by ear and know yeah. your people. Your emotional IQ has got to be on point for this. Yes. And we'll talk about how to improve that as well. There's a book out there for it. So that's that's what we would do is we would start the meetings with these epic fails. I started with my own and eventually other people would join in. I made a big deal out of them joining in and sharing. Pretty soon, it becomes pretty obvious that the people who are not sharing that's part of what's causing the psychological safety rift part of uh, tying this whole thing together. Part of psychological safety is everybody kind of needs to sign on. So if you have one person that never talks, that never admits they have any mistakes, everybody else is keenly aware that that person is pretending to be perfect. And I mentioned it before. Everybody knows anybody pretending to be perfect is lying. Maybe that does not label them a liar, but they are clearly not comfortable enough yet revealing their humanity. And that will hold a group back. That is worth a one-off discussion to that person. Do not call them out in the meeting unless you have that kind of dynamic, which can be done. I did that. I had the dynamic where I could call somebody out in the middle of a meeting for doing something that was against our culture, counterculture. It takes a lot of time to develop that kind of relationship. So if you notice a person never chimes in with any mistakes, that's you now have your next one-on-one conversation with them. The very next time you guys sit down after that meeting, point it out. Hey, I notice that you never you never play along with this thing. Why is that? Yeah. Well, and let's let's be realistic here too, because we're talking about different steps of things like standards and expectations, intent, building cohesiveness. We're talking about fails. This doesn't happen on a weekly scale where you're building this up. We're literally talking about something that I think when I joined your organization, you had formed the the core of the culture that we're talking about. It was probably a year and a half to two years in before we were doing radical transparency. So we were building this culture for a year and a half to two years adding in things constantly, like adding in, here's who I am and what my strengths are and sharing those. Here's my core values and my principles. Here are my actual values where if we're going against these, I'm out, right? And being able to be honest and open all the way to the point of gathering aggregate data from each other about the things where you're failing and you probably don't even know you're failing because you're not self-aware or even better yet, Everybody already knows you're doing the thing you fear the most. It's like, oh, my God, am I still doing this thing? But being able to get comfortable and trustful and have that open conversation and those awkward questions where you might feel like a raw nerve. And, you know, I would I would put myself to the hazard here in a very vulnerable way. I was one of the newest people on the team. I have harmony in my top five. I'm far from perfect And I knew exactly what was coming when we went through and did some things uh, around getting more radical with, you know, radical sounds like such a harsh word. What it really is, is just more immediate honesty. We built the trust bed for at least a year and a half before. And that was with that group, everybody in before we ever started saying, hey, we're kind of we all notice that you do X. And it bothers most of us. Can we talk about it in a supportive way to help you move past that and get better or at least to own it so that you can, you know, for me and organizational skill sets coming to somebody like Chandra and going, hey, all right, go through my email and show me how to organize it better because I'm it's shitastic. It's not 
conducive to getting 100 emails a day and the pace that I work because I'm so focused on working with humans. Mm -hmm. I didn't like doing the admin piece and going, you know what? I need help. And if that sounds at all like, oh, my God, please, everybody has their thing that they're not good at. And everybody likes to help. It's, it's it is symbiotic to own your shit and go to somebody and go, I don't feel very good at this thing. I've heard you're kind of a legend at it. Would you be willing to help me get better at that thing? <laughs> if you work with a person or you know a person that would treat you like shit, if you approach them with that way, get them out of your life. <laughs> One pay, way- pay attention as a leader because if somebody goes to somebody, I don't, you know, whether they don't have time might be something, you know, building it in, giving permission as a leader for them to help. There's so many different factors in there. But if you outright have somebody on your team that's like, I don't want to help them because I want to be number one, that that's, you know, that's not leadership. That's not leadership. And they that person needs to be, uh, I don't know, they need to be in a different job where they don't have to worry about helping anybody else. If you're trying to create an environment where everybody helps everybody, that person is cancer. And I have worked with them. I, I've, I know a person, it's probably a story for another episode, but I have worked with those kinds of people that do not want to help. And if they do accept that they have to help at some point, it's only so that they look better. Well, I helped this person get better at this thing. Why isn't that yeah. part of my stripes? Fuck off. It's You're talking the- about social norms though now. Yes. And when you have a strong culture and you bring a new person in, they absolutely will adapt to the culture that's already happening. We are we are hardwired to fit in first and then kind of figure things out as we go. Yes. And so if you put in the work and put in the time and build the relationships, not on a weekly scale, on a monthly or quarterly or sometimes an even yearly scale, we're talking about building relationships where, you know, Max and I haven't worked together uh, in a in a true work capacity for what? almost two years. Mm -hmm. We still probably talk at least once a week, keeping people as your mentors. These are the kind of relationships that you really want to build. And please don't ever forget that the amazing people that you hired because they were incredible are probably going to be your boss someday. When there's no ego and it's about helping people become who they have the potential to be, absolutely be ready for the fact that you may be like, hey, cool, you're my boss. And they already know that you're not an a-hole and that they know what you're about. Matter of fact, I might even encourage a person to try as hard as you can to only hire people that you would be willing to work for if the roles reversed. Yeah. At the very least, hiring people that you want to be your peer. Yes, at the very least. But ideally, somebody you would work for. Yeah. Because if, if you think they would be a good leader for you, then they're probably going to be a good leader for the people that you take care of. That's all we can do. We can, we're we're all just trying to do our best with what we have. And selfishly, the excellent environments that I, that I created all came from the, just because I wanted that environment for myself. Absolutely. It it came from a selfish place, but it turned out to be a very selfless thing because it turned out I'd really stumbled onto something. I said this in episode zero, which may never air. So I'm going to say it now. I truly believe I have knowledge of how every human wants to work on the planet, every one of us. And this is just a hint into what it is. The quick way of saying it is everybody wants to be left the fuck alone. There will be entire episodes dedicated to this later on. 
This is just a little glimmer into how I have found my success as a leader and how I have encouraged other people to find success in their own leadership adventures. Circling back, before we forget, I never got to hear how any of the methods that you use to create psychological safety for your teams. Well, I learned it in the same environment. So uh, it was it was very similar because we're going to go into that meeting and asking them about expectations, standards, what do we want, how do we want to do things, and then using, again, your social IQ or your, your emotional IQ in those discussions, who do you need to talk to in a one-on-one setting? Because some people are, they're introverted, they're not as comfortable, they may not share readily, but in those meetings, the idea of failure is not something that is bad, it's something that's inevitable. So having these conversations in the context of, you know, if you're trying something new because you're trying to, you know, let's talk about a call center just for context. You're trying to reduce your handle time. You're trying to increase your customer service scores. You're trying to increase your quality assurance percentages, those types of things. The methods that you are using, what are you doing and what are you trying? And if you tried something that didn't work, being able to share that with a group of 10 or 12 other individuals, hey, I did I did X, this is kind of how it went, and asking for opinions. It's really about staying curious. It's one of the, the real core principles of being a leader. You can get mad because somebody made a mistake, or you can get curious about what caused it and what's the plan so that we don't have that happen again. Tying in a couple of different concepts, this one and, and another one that we've talked about before, you can shortcut into this kind of environment by asking people, What if you worked in a place where it was perfectly okay for you to acknowledge a mistake that you made and tell everybody how you made it? When you ask that person who's new to your team, watch them go into convulsive sphincter clenching. (laughs) (laughs) Body language, arms are crossed, heads down, chins like, this is uncomfortable. What are we talking about here? And then acknowledge and say, I understand what I'm proposing is seems like madness to you. But what if you worked in an environment where it was okay to state your mistakes, how you made them, and share them with the group so that other people could learn from them? Number one, is that an environment you think you'd like to work in where it's okay to make mistakes and you get to share them and not feel shame? Anybody who tells you no to that question is fucking lying. And then it just means you, you might have to work harder because they're really trying to protect themselves. But it doesn't mean they're not lying. <laughs> the key is then to go, what would you need in order to feel comfortable sharing your mistakes with the group. What kind of things would I need to do? What kind of things, what would you look around and see and go, ah, it is okay for me to do that. This is a shortcut if you can. These are the awkward questions I was talking about earlier. And it's okay if they don't have the answer right Right. now. You got to set the table. You know, maybe, maybe it's the, hey, next week I want to talk about failure and why I think it's key for us to be able to be on the front edge of being creative and innovative and trying new things or, you know, some, some new process is coming out and we want to be who is going to test it and ask those awkward questions under, you know, don't answer it right now. Answer this a week from now at our meeting. I want y'all to think about this over the next week and then talk about it with them in their one-on-ones, set the table so that you're starting to open things up slowly so that when you get to that meeting, it's not, tell me what you think about this. And everybody's like, I don't know what I think about that yet. Yeah, you have to acknowledge that people are, some people are processors yeah. and they just, they just need a minute. So that's a, that's a great technique. We've listed a couple of things. 
that you can do, that you can implement in your team starting this week, starting tomorrow, starting today. If you're listening to this in the morning and you got a team meeting coming up, start introducing these concepts. Just know that they take time. A lot of stuff that Josh and I are talking about takes a lot of time, but there are shortcuts and we will give you those as often as we can think of. I'm going to share an all-time epic fail. I'm convinced as a parent that I've learned more from my children than I maybe am teaching my children. And so this is one for perspective. And I think as a leader, these are the kind of things that can give you perspective that sticks. The sticking power of this one was huge for me. Had a bad day. I'm emptying the dishwasher. Uh, I'm the cook in my house. So I'm making dinner, emptying the dishwasher. I'm in a frenzy. I'm not in a good mood. And my youngest, who was probably six at the time, walked up to me and he was like, daddy, and I'm just doing my thing. And I'm like, leave me alone. I'm trying to get all this stuff done. And he goes, but daddy, I, I, I have, and I turned to him and I barked at him Mm -hmm. and I said, I'm trying to do three things at once. Leave me alone. I need to get this stuff done. And he looked up at me as he started to well up and he said, I just wanted to see if I could help you with the dishes. Oh, what an asshole you are. (laughs) Two things that I'll never forget from that moment. And it's the kind of thing where when you feel impatience brewing as a leader, Mm -hmm. stay patient and stay curious. It's a lot better to be patient and to be curious than it is to be reactive. I think that comes back to intent again. Epic fails ties into everything we've talked about so far. And it is something that you do have to build the trust and the layers up for that we talked about. Um, if you have questions, um, there'll be some some links and connections that you probably will be able to reach out to ask those questions as well. If you have specific epic fails of your own that you are willing to share with the community, that would be incredible. But uh, stay curious, stay kind, and be a good human. But remember, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong.